the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. See, Jesus made it clear in Scripture that when you begin a relationship with God, it changes you. That's why in Galatians chapter 5, we're taught the fruit of the Spirit. That when the Holy Spirit of God is living in me, I look different. That's why you'll hear me say things like, I don't have the liberty to be unkind. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus Christ like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhillchurch.com. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. We are born separated from God. We are born apart from from his relationship with him. Sin has done that to us. It's so important. It reminds us of what we're saved from. We're saved from forever separation with God. Don't miss this. We probably misunderstood this most of our lives. Even some of you that have grown up in church, you, you felt like I was saved from hell. Or I was saved to heaven. Those are true realities if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. But your greatest need was not to not be punished. Or your greatest need was not to figure out to get to heaven. God didn't have to create a map to show you how to get to heaven. Your greatest need was separation from the one you were created to be united with. Your greatest need was the inability to worship the one you were made to worship. Your greatest need was your failure to give glory to the one that you were created solely to give glory to. And all of those needs are created by the problem of sin. And if you don't understand that, I I would dare say you've misunderstood what salvation means. And you may be a decent person. You may be a church member. Good night, you may be a church leader. But if you haven't understand the danger of the separation of sin, it's hard for me to understand, according to Scripture, that you are a saved child of God because that is core to what it means to experience salvation. The greatest gain of our salvation is not that we escape hell or get a ticket to heaven. The most significant of many benefits that come from trusting Jesus is the restoration of a personal relationship with God. Understand that, dear friend. That's what we celebrate. That's why this is so much more important than just a sweet story about a little baby in a manger. That's why it's great to sing these carols and to worship Jesus on Christmas Eve and the days around this holiday. But it's also why we must recognize that he desires our worship and our glory and our honor and our praise 365 days of every year. Our greatest need was not to be punished or or to have a place to go. Our greatest need was and is relationship. And that's why the angel described what Jesus would do as saving us from our sins. Jesus is a savior. 
and he will save us from our sins. So let me just give you a few truths about that, and then I'm going to pray with you, because I believe today may be life change for somebody that's listening. I want you to understand that Jesus desires, he wants to be your personal savior. Did you hear that in the message to Joseph? He will save your people from their sins. This is not about somebody else. Your relationship with God has nothing, listen to me, nothing to do with your family. Your relationship with God is about you recognizing your need for salvation and submitting and surrendering to him and experiencing by his grace through faith the gift that he offers to you. He wants you to know that. He knows you. He wants to save you from your sins. He's not a distant deity. He's not an unknown or an unknowable God. He knows you and he deeply desires to be known by you. I love a song we used to sing that says, I have a maker. He, he formed my heart. Before even time began, my life was in his hands. He knows my name. He knows my every thought. He sees each tear that falls and he hears me when I call. Listen today, Jesus wants to be your personal savior. He wants to save you from your sins. But Jesus is also willing to be your permanent savior. We see this when we see how salvation is described in scripture. And our salvation is described as a completed process, but it's also described as a process that is in the works. It's a completed process because according to scripture, once I've become a child of God, the Holy Spirit seals me under that day of redemption. That means that I can know that my salvation is secure. I don't have to leave, live in uncertainty. I believe the Bible teaches once I've been truly saved, not once I've walked down an aisle, not once I've joined a church, not once I've walked through baptism or catechism or church class or first communion, but once I've been truly saved, I'm always saved. I'm secure. It's a doctrine of eternal security. The process is is completed but it's also an ongoing process in a way. He accomplishes our salvation once and for all, but he continues the process of salvation. So we say it sometimes this way. I have been saved, I am being saved, and I will be saved. That's what it means when I look to Jesus as my savior. First of all, Jesus has saved his people from the penalty of sin. Do you understand that? Jesus has saved his people from the penalty of sin. This is the doctrine of justification. Jesus, because of his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, he makes it just as if I never sinned. Now let me explain that to you. The Bible, remember, says that we're all sinners? Well, the Bible goes on to say that the penalty, the punishment for sin, is death. That's the wage. Just like you worked this week, many of you, and you got paid or you will get paid for your work, the payment, the penalty for your sin, and we're all in this boat, is death. It's guaranteed payment. You're going to get it. That's what God says. But through Jesus, we have our penalty lifted. Not because he said, I'm not going to do that, but because Jesus took the wrath of God. 
because Jesus experienced our pain. Because he experienced our penalty. That's what Romans 5, 8, 9 says. But God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Look at verse 9. Since therefore we have now been justified, there's that word, by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. He took on the wrath of God, the anger of God, the penalty of our sin, the punishment for our sin, so that we don't have to. First Peter 2 puts it this way. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live in righteousness by his wounds you've been healed. Romans 8 1 then tells us the result of this. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When I have applied this gift of God and received his forgiveness, when I've understood that Jesus, my savior, took the penalty for my sin, then when God looks at me, he doesn't condemn me. That's why that most familiar verse in the Bible, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life is followed by a verse that says, for he did not come into the world to condemn the world. That's the difference between what we believe and what most of the world believes. Most of the world looks at God as if he's angry at them and just wants to judge and condemn them. No, he came into the world to give us a way to hope and life and light. That's why that great song says, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but in whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. It is well, it is well, it is well, it is well with my soul. Jesus saved his people from the penalty of sin and that's the doctrine of justification. But Jesus is saving us from the power of sin. And that's the doctrine of sanctification. So Jesus made it clear that when you're saved, you're supposed to begin to look different. He begins to change your want to. You begin to act differently. You're not supposed to stay the same. If you profess to be a child of God, to have experienced salvation through Jesus, and your life has not looked different, according to scripture, you are not saved. You've not been changed. Because if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. All the old things have passed away. All things have become new. We're not conformed to this world. He tells us we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. And so we begin to be changed. And we see that in the ministry of Jesus. So Jesus, he, he, he makes this woman caught in adultery a hero. Remember the story? John chapter 8, Jesus walks up this woman that's about to be stoned. Jesus kneels down into the dirt where they have got her on the ground stoning her and he turns around and what does he say? Okay, those of you without sin, you throw the first stone. And while he said that, he, he's writing in the sand and we don't know what he writes in the sand. Some people think he wrote the name of the guy that she was with. Some, some people, who knows what he wrote? But this is what we know. They all went away Then Jesus looked at the woman and he said this. All right, go and sin no more. See, Jesus made it clear in scripture that when you begin a relationship with God, it changes you. That's why in Galatians chapter five, we're taught the fruit of the spirit. That when the Holy Spirit of God is living in me, I look different. That's why you'll hear me say things like, I don't have the liberty to be unkind. 
Not that I won't ever be unkind, but I don't have the liberty to get a pass at doing that and think it's okay. I don't have the liberty to go around living in unforgiveness and bitterness. I don't have a liberty to, to, to hold grudges at people and, and not talk to people. I believe that's one of the reasons the church, the corporate church in America is dying because Christians, professing followers of Jesus, are not acting like Jesus even in church. We're supposed to be changed. If you've just joined us, you're listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. Video of the message you're listening to is available when you click the Watch tab at MissionHillChurch.com. Thanks for sharing time with us and for sharing your financial gifts by clicking the Give button at MissionHillChurch.com. And now, with more of today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. 2 Corinthians 7, 1 says, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Jesus did not die a sacrificial death so that we might lower God's standard. He did so that we might ultimately meet the standard through him. We must never respond to his gift of salvation with a scandalous cheapening of holiness or a presumption upon his grace. We never, as Christ's followers, say, well, I'm saved and that's all that matters. I don't need the church or I don't care what I do. That's not okay according to scripture. If I am a follower of Jesus, my life has changed. And by the way, I'll say this to you who are gathered because y'all are here, but that means that we don't forsake coming together with the corporate church because we need each other. That's part of his plan and his prescription. This week we gathered for what we call Night of Hope and several of my friends helped us with that service, but... One of them was my friend Billy McCoy, and Billy leads our ministry called Celebrate Recovery, and it helps people that are struggling with hurts and habits and hang up, and Billy shared his story, and, and a number of years ago, he's celebrating, I think, 15 years of sobriety, and, and, and a number of years ago, he was at his mom's house, and he was addicted to alcohol and to drugs, and he was shooting up his arm, he said. He's ready to take his life, and he cried out to God. And he said, God changed me. And as God changed him, eternally, he began to change him in the moment. You know what Billy did? He began to walk away from those things that impacted him. But guess what? Some of that were still struggles. So he first got involved in another recovery uh, group and, and, and now he's a part of Celebrated Recovery. And, and like anyone who struggled with addictions, he acknowledges he is recovering. He's in that process of being changed. That's just what I want you to understand. You are supposed to be being changed. You are supposed to be being sanctified. You're not gonna reach perfection. You're not gonna reach this holiness on this side of heaven. But don't ever be sanctified satisfied with not being there. Keep striving for it. Keep striving for it. Well, the third thing is Jesus will save his people from the presence of sin. This is the doctrine of glorification. And frankly, this is what most excites me. Because for me, some of this is still a trouble. There are some besetting sins in my life. 
There are things that I battle with as a pastor, as a person who spends time in God's word and tries to be a man of prayer, things that make me ashamed of of the choices that I make. And and I I long for the day where I will be face-to-face with Jesus and there'll be no more desire or temptation or opportunity to sin. I'll be free from the presence of sin. And that's good, because remember what we are saved from. Remember what this is all about. This is not really true in the, in the um, faith practice I grew up in in the Baptist church, but a lot of faith practices in the Christian church grow up studying the Westminster Confession. In the shorter catechism of the Westminster Confession, there are questions and answers about what our theology is. And, and one of those early questions is, what is the chief end of man? And it's answered this way, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Remember, that's why we're saved. Because as a result of the garden, we can't glorify God and enjoy him because we're separated from him. So we're saved so that we might do the main thing. We might fulfill the purpose for which we were made. The salvation of Jesus offers the only way to enjoy life's ultimate experience. The very reason for which we're created. And that's why we've got to see Christmas as as so much more than just a nativity scene. We've got to see this as an opportunity for us to be restored with God, for have been saved, for being saved, and for that opportunity where we know we will be saved, where Eden is restored, where there's no more crying or pain or death or tears, where we don't just have the hope of heaven, but we have the experience of heaven. Every time we celebrate the birth of Christ, we should be compelled to simultaneously humble ourselves and worship the Savior. That's what this season should do to us. We should realize how much we need him. And then in light of that, we should just be drawn not to beat ourselves up, but just to praise his name. So back this summer, I visited Israel and we went over into Bethlehem. And in Bethlehem, we saw the church of the nativity. And the church of the nativity is built over the site that is supposed to be perhaps the cave where Jesus was born. And, and you can stand in line and walk down under the cathedral to see that cave. But what I want to mention to you is when you go into the church of the nativity, you, you have to go through a door of humility. It's a door that's only four foot, 10 inches tall. I think I've got a picture of this door. This doesn't show it clearly. I should have had somebody standing there. But the truth is, I'm a little taller than four foot, 10 inches, right? And so you have to bend down to get in the door and into the room. But then when you stand up, you look up and you stand in awe of what you see. And that was symbolic to remind us of what our relationship with God is supposed to be. When we humble ourselves before him and then allow him to lift us up, like the old hymn says, then we stand amazed in the presence of Jesus and we begin to worship him and glorify him. And if we're not doing that, something has gotten off kilter in our prescription, something is not right. But I want you to see this last point. Not only does Jesus want to be your personal savior, and not only is he your permanent savior, Jesus is your only possible savior. 
And, and <laughs> you've got to hear this today. You've, you've got to understand that this is not popular. It's not. In fact, I believe, I, I'm, I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet. I'm not a future teller, but I believe if Jesus tarries and I live long enough, we'll probably see a day in our country where that's considered hate speech. But scripture teaches Jesus is the only possible way for salvation. Why do you say that, pastor? Well, first of all, Jesus said it. John 14, 6, Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He didn't say I'm one of many ways. I'm a truth. I've flown a lot this year. I've been in the Middle East a couple of times, three times I think. I've been in Africa. I've been in South America. I know this though, if I want to get a ticket, let's say to go to Italy, if I want to go to Rome, I can't just take a ticket to anywhere. Because when I get on a plane over here at TPI, it's called Tampa International Airport, all planes don't go to the same place. That wouldn't be logical. If I want to go to Rome, I need a plane to Rome. If I go stand to the ticket counter and, and say, I need a ticket to Rome, and they say, I don't have a ticket to Rome, but I'd like to give you a ticket to Buenos Aires. That's not going to help me. If I say that's not going to help me, and then they then say, well, you know what? I, I think you should go to Southwest Airlines because they've got the best customer ratings and they have a lot of fun with the flight attendants when you fly. That's not going to help me because Southwest doesn't fly to Rome. If I want to go to Rome, I've got to have a ticket to Rome. And Jesus said, if you want a ticket to a restored relationship with God, there is only one way. I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. And then the church, the church began to adopt that. So as the church was born in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, it says, there is no salvation in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby one can be saved. Some people try, as, as Max Lucado said, some people try to clump Christ with Moses as Muhammad and Confucius and other spiritual lead, leaders, but Jesus refuses to share the page. Islam says Jesus was not cruci- crucified. Christianity says he was. Both can't be true. Judaism refuses the claim of Christ as the Messiah. Christians accept it. Somebody's making a mistake. Buddhists looked toward nirvana, achieved after no less than 547 reincarnations. Christians believe in one life, one death, and an eternity enjoying God. The two can't be both true. Humanists do not acknowledge a creator of life. Jesus claims to be the source of life. One speaks falsely. Spiritists read your palms. Christians consult the Bible. Hindus perceive a plural and impersonal God. Christ followers believe there is only one God. Somebody is wrong. Every other world religion really comes back to this. You can save you. Christianity says only Jesus can save you. He's your only possible savior. The purpose of Christmas is salvation because the purpose of Jesus is salvation. He saves you from something, your sin. He saves you to this purpose of living for his glory And he saves you by something, his grace.
Bible tells us in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, you've been, for by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We're in two categories here today. Either we're saved, meaning we've already got a relationship with Jesus Christ, or we're not. If you know concretely, if you know with confidence that you are in that first category, that you are saved, I would ask you, are you living with purpose in honor of the one who came to give you purpose? The one who came on purpose to give you that purpose. And if not, on this Christmas, Adam, would you make a commitment to recognize Jesus' purpose for coming and live on purpose for His glory. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis, an outreach of Mission Hill Church. If you're looking for answers to difficult questions or searching for a church home, you're invited to any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. Details and directions at missionhillchurch.com. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhillchurch.com and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhillchurch.com. And join us next Sunday at noon for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk, AM 570 and 910.